Let's bring in Will Leach for the first time on this show. You can follow him at William F. Leach. Fresh from the Super Bowl. Will, great to see you. We've had many conversations on the air in um, my past media life. Great to have you on here. I guess let's start with this, though. First off, how was the Super Bowl, and can you baseballize it at all for us? Like, what are we doing wrong in our sport? Well, uh, first of all, I was in Vegas for six days around the Super Bowl. So I can't, I, I can't feel my face right now to be entirely. That's a long time to be in Vegas when the Super Bowl is going on. Uh, it was, a, it was an interesting experience. You know, uh, it, I've covered this by 12th Super Bowl and the Super Bowl generally uh, brings out a certain interesting sort of clientele of people that come to visit. Imagine that combined with Vegas. It got pretty intense there for the last week, though. I have to say Vegas now, I think it's different to have Vegas. I mean, we've seen this with baseball as well. Like, you know, Vegas is, you know, it's more respectable than it used to be. And so in a lot of ways, it feels kind of like the same Pepsi commercial that the Super Bowl kind of feels like sometimes. It actually kind of fits a little bit. It really was not uh, that down and dirty as you might expect a Vegas Super Bowl to be. It really kind of felt like uh, it was that you had to walk through a casino to get to the stadium. But otherwise, uh, it was actually not dramatically different than other Super Bowls I've been. It sounds like you work for Rob Manfred with your uh... – you're you're kind of pushing for the A's to, to you know to oh, say why Vegas I'm is such a, such a great place for the Oakland A's. I didn't know I, he got. I, I was out there. Right I was now. literally out there with when the mayor was like, "Oh, I don't know. It's Oakland sounds great." I mean, I mean, certainly it's a weird time. Uh, certainly with the A's in every regard right now. I listen. I I you walk by where the Tropicana is. It doesn't look big enough for a baseball stadium i have to say uh certainly it, they've a lot of things to get figured out there maybe vegas works at some point maybe it works with the a's but uh i don't know i i doesn't that there's a lot of things that situation gotta get figured out before you can start putting the baseball team there. okay well before we continue this interview i have to ask this you're from illinois yes sir so did you grow up a cub or a white Sox fan because that's gonna this answer is gonna determine how this interview goes for the next 15 minutes First off, I grew up in the correct part of Illinois, which is closer to Kentucky than to Chicago. So I was a Cardinals fan. So to okay, be as clear yeah, as I can, I can, okay, that's fine. You didn't say Cubs, so okay, we, yeah. we can. Oh yeah, by all means. But believe you me, interview. White Sox, Cardinals together, we hate the Cubs. Let's not let's not be we're, <laughs> we're not crazy here. For crying out I I grew up in Central <laughs> Illinois, where basically it was about like seventy percent Cardinals fans and thirty percent Cubs fans. So I like my father refuses to admit that 2016 happens. He just, he, I mentioned it and he's like, nothing happened that year. And I was like, dad, lots of things happened, but he refuses to admit it because the Cubs won the world series that year. And he, those, he will not say those sports. <laughs> That's funny. By the way, you said 70% Cardinal fan, 30% cup. You missed a team somewhere then. There's 70% Cardinal fans. Well, and White Sox, down, White Sox, White Sox, downstate White Sox are more, we have no problem with the White Sox. We're fine uh, with the White Sox. <laughs> Just like we're fine with, you know, the, okay. the Diamondbacks. That's like another team we don't worry about. We hate the Cubs yeah. and cheer for the Cardinals. And the White Sox, we got no beef. And you, frankly, we all, you were popular when you were in St. Louis. People liked you. I love St. Louis. I love St. Louis. Do you like what they did this offseason? Do you like the moves they made? Do you like the... Three starters they brought in, bringing back Lance, uh, some of the other smaller moves they made to try to improve basically a terrible team last year. 
Yeah, they. I mean, the pitching just fell apart on them last year. I thought it was interesting that the moves they made, Sonny Gray's here for a while, but otherwise the starting pitchers really feel like short-term hits. I think that speaks to two things. One, I think they do actually feel perhaps more confident than they should in some of the pitchers that are coming up. Tink Hintz is probably the most famous one in that regard, but Gar- Garson Crucefo, they've got guys that they think aren't ready now, but may be ready in a couple years, which is why they signed Lynn to a one-year deal. You know, and 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 like you know, they're, they're basically they've had they're trying to fix the problem in the short term while recognizing they think it's it's covered in the long term. But more to the point, I think it speaks to how I mean the Cardinals finished in last last year. They finished like St. Louis Cardinals finished in last place last year. It's the first time that's happened since 1990. That did not go over well. If you saw uh, if you saw the what Bush Stadium looked like in August and September, there were so many empty seats there, and that's not something anyone is ever used to seeing at Bush Stadium. The Cardinals fans did not react well to that, and they're they're not really accustomed to it. So I think there's a lot of pressure on everybody there, and so those the idea of flooding the zone with pitchers, recognizing they trust the hitters, they feel like the lineup, a lot of those guys, uh, Goldschmidt and, and Arenado, they were down a little last year, but not dramatically. So I think. There's definitely reason to think they were not on my bounce back a little bit. A lot of those young hitters, they have a lot of faith in. They really didn't touch their offense at all. They really feel like this is a short-term problem. They see 2023 as a blip and something that will be easily corrected this year. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see about that. But I think it speaks to the pressure that everyone's under from from the from the general man from from Mozeliak to Schill. I mean, like now you've got uh, uh, and really, really, Ali Marmol is probably under more pressure than anybody else. I think uh, there was a clear sense of kind of chaos that the Cardinals are not really used to with the Tyler O'Neill situation, obviously the Wilson Contreras situation. They really want to get this fixed right now, and so I think that uh, bringing those pitchers at the very beginning of free agency spoke to how eager and desperate they were so are they picked to win the division because the division's terrible are they (laughs) actually better this year what's what's because they you know they finished last Hmm. and maybe the offense is what they were last year maybe some of these players haven't taken the next step or is it just inevitable that the cardinals just get back in the playoffs because that's what the cardinals have always done well, yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that, like, I feel like everyone spent half of last year going, yeah, but the Cardinals are still going to win this division, right? They're still going to figure this out, and then it just never happened. So I think there's reason to uh, – that they they feel that they were temporarily displaced from their rightful place <laughs> last year. And I'm not sure that's right. I think that the, offense-wise, I think there's reason to be excited. I think Jordan Walker may have a, be able to have a pretty big breakthrough this year. Lars Newbar had some injury issues last year. but Brendan Donovan had some injury issues last year. Those are exciting young players for this team. They feel pretty comfortable to be able to build around – I still feel like the worry is the pitching. I mean, for for as much as bringing in Gibson and Lynn and Gray, uh, you know, Gray has had was healthy, been healthy the last couple of years, but had injury issues throughout his career. Lynn gave up. A, a, I don't have the numbers, but I think it was forty seven thousand home runs last year that Lance Lynn gave up. He gave up so many homers last year, and Gibson gives you a lot of innings, but I don't think anyone would classify him as a as a as a really as a guy that you would start game one in a playoff series. Well, I guess no one else did. But uh, more to the point. Miles Michaelis is actually someone that I, they're kind of treating him as a number two and his numbers don't look like a number two last year. I still feel like it's the starting pitching. I think the six starters, maybe Zach Thompson and the seven starter and you kind of have Steven Matz as well. So I think there's still a chance that the pitching implodes on them. The advantage they have 
The Brewers took a step back. The the Reds have added guys. So I'm not sure I understand all the Reds moves that they they add in the Cubs. You keep waiting for the Cubs to make a big move, other than Council. And uh, I guess there's been a couple, but still they're losing. They lost Stroman. They lost Stroman. It looks like they may lose Bellinger. It's hard to see how they're better either. So almost by default, someone has to win. The fact that Fangraphs has the Cardinals a five game, uh, five games in first, and that speaks to how bad the division is and how people, even the numbers, I guess, still think the Cardinals will, will pull it out. Who was to blame, though, for last year? Because you, you've mentioned a lot of, yeah. like, very Midwest nice answers for, well, <laughs> Goldschmidt wasn't that bad. Nolan, yeah. he was neat. And, you know, Brandon Donovan was hurt. Lars Newbar yeah. is a cool story. Who's really to blame? Because as the season started and there was, you know, the Tyler O'Neill stuff and the Wilson Contreras stuff, I said – this has to be on the staff. I'm not just saying just Ali Marmol. I'm saying everybody because Yadier Molina left and he was carrying way more weight than this organization realized to get his team, you know, to make mediocre players better. So who really is to blame for last year? Yeah, you know, one person that's definitely not to blame is Wilson Contreras, which is the guy they tried to blame when that happened. He actually was terrific after that and really kind of earned the trust of the staff. I do think there were some issues. There were commu- clearly communications issues with that. Like uh, like Marmol was in, in the middle of the O'Neill issue, but then he he actually is not the one that made the decision with Contreras. That came from Mosaic in the front office. And I think there was I think they clearly deserve a lot of blame for that. They also deserve a lot of blame, frankly, for not having any pitchers ready. When like the idea they were counting, basically counting on Adam Wainwright to throw like 175 innings of, of four ERA ERA or less last year. Like because he always does that. Because the Cardinals always do that, and it just didn't pay off. And I think they kind of got caught uh, not prepared. They almost, frankly, I think there was a little bit of arrogance for a team that's been good for so long and a front office that's been in place for so long. I think there was that same idea, we'll figure it out. And I think that actually led to part of the problem with the Contreras thing. The Contreras thing happened when the Cardinals were struggling. They were struggling early in the season, and the pitching staff was part of that. I don't think Contreras was the reason for that, but the pitching staff was a part of that. And I think there was a sense of they were just kind of flailing. They were just not used to this happening at all. And so they just started throwing stuff. And maybe it's Contreras. Where's Yachty? We miss Yachty. We miss our binky. That is Yachty or Molina. I think they handled (laughs) that very, very poorly last year when the real problem was they just did not have enough pitching. And it's funny, there was the interview before the season where John Mosaloc said, "Oh, I think we're going to be fine on pitching." I assure you, uh, the uh, the online people, Cardinal fans, had plenty of fun with that quote throughout the year because they ran out of pitching like that and were just never really able to recover. Yeah, they never did. You're right. I think it was, "Oh my gosh, we're struggling." You know, what, what do we do? We're going to blame someone. And as we know, it's like golf. The caddy gets the blame. The catcher gets the blame when the pitcher yeah. goes bad. Can, I, mean, I really want to emphasize again how great Contreras was after that. He handled that he situation. He was good. He was really perfect. good, yeah. He, 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 he made strides defensively. He hit the ball. Great. Remember, that happened right before his first trip back to Wrigley Field. Just like the worst possible time they could have done that. I think Cardinal fans who, listen, frankly, saw Contreras as a Cub until he's like, and the guy that was replacing Molina, there's no issues with Contreras. I think everyone's very, very happy with how he handled that situation. And definitely no one blames him anymore. In fact, I think that really hurt the credibility of the front office when they did try to blame him. Agreed. Agreed. Yep. So speaking of one thing that I, that I've read that you're, you're, you know, your heart is into, I believe also the Olympics, right? I'm all for it. Let's yeah. get the best players to play in a tournament in the middle of the season where everybody's hot, everyone's playing at the same time, let's do it. What are the hurdles for this? And I love the idea that's been floated. Six to eight teams, WBC is a qualifier, 
six to eight teams, take a little bit of a longer all-star break. You could even maybe do the all-star game in LA at the same time while you're playing the tournament, whatever it takes to make everyone happy and everybody, let's be honest, to get their money. But Hey, I'm all for it. And, and what do you think the chances of seeing this happen? Because I'd love to cover it. Yeah, I, it would be wonderful. I do still think there's a lot of headaches, though. I think that, like, I mean, for crying out loud, um, we, we saw the reaction when Diaz got hurt in the WBC last year. Imagine that happens for a team that's, like, in first place in the middle of the year and loses a starter in the Olympics. And, like, like people are going to be very – like, teams are – like, the money that's involved in this uh, – sure, there, there will be money to be made from the Olympics, but the, like by the midseason, beginning of the year, the Mets could figure out, like, okay, maybe we'll bring in Robertson. We'll be able to figure something out on there. Spring training injuries happen all the time. If someone gets hurt midseason during a break, imagine, like – People are going to freak out uh, about that. And, I, and more to the point, I think because front offices are so risk averse, and they are for better and I would argue mostly worse, uh, they are risk averse. They are going to be very concerned, particularly because, you know, the idea of, you know, we're already talking about players not playing as many games as they used to and resting more and load management is the big thing in sports right now. You have to get a lot of people on the same page to do this. I love the idea. It would be wonderful. I think it'd be great for baseball. I think it would be great for baseball globally. I know that's something that they're working on a lot. I was in London for the uh, for for the, for the Cardinals-Cubs game last year. It was a really great experience, even though I, they all use very weird terms to describe some baseball things, but that's just the idioms. But I think it would help globally a lot. I just think i mean everyone worries about the global reach of the game until it affects their affects their personal bottom line or their team's win thing and get everyone else on the same page it just seems really hard to do but obviously i would love 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 to see it. and i think you're you're right it'd be a great thing to cover yeah and well i'll take the trade-off i mean if we're gonna have some injury issues we had max scherzer on and he was like listen i'm not doing it before the season starts and obviously now he's kind of you know getting towards the end of his career and he's dealing with another injury but the point was he was representing many us star pitchers who don't participate in the world baseball classic so i think in this scenario you would get many more signups we already made josh hader say yes the other day when the story <laughs> came out but my big picture look is baseball needs to make this happen they miss out on opportunities like this and they are not the top sport in the world or especially in our country, right? Things have changed. It's It's been a while now, but football is worlds ahead of baseball. Many people can make the case that basketball has surpassed baseball in popularity, especially internationally and with the younger audience. Like I look at COVID when that happened and there was so much money fighting about, oh, we don't want to pay you as much and let's just have a shorter season. They could have been the first sport back and been like that for like weeks and they completely blew it. There, People were watching like, fake Russian table tennis and we could have had <laughs> baseball on. So that's why I'm like, they need to capitalize here. This could open up the games in LA. It's too convenient not to happen. So that's why I'm trying to push, you know, the sport of baseball to think bigger picture and not just about every single short-term buck, you know? You know, and I would argue too, remember the problem with COVID was that there were labor issues. They didn't have the new contract, right? Like I feel I'm one of those people that believes baseball works best when we've got long-term labor contracts settled. <laughs> and, and I think that's something that when you like when you don't have to worry about, that's what happened with COVID. That's why they missed that time. They missed that time because they were players and owners were already waiting for that for the next fight. And then they were suddenly had this sudden new fight and it, it, it hurt them. And I think I think you're right. 
I think that like, listen, you're already hearing rumblings of like, I don't know, is Steve Cohen going to make us have another labor issue in four or five years? I know that's a horrible thing to talk about. Nothing makes me more upset to go, but you have to figure that stuff out before you have to put it almost in the contracts and get it set because this is a big, big deal. And when things, we talk about the greater world of baseball, what's good for baseball. That's a really complicated thing. I don't think it's complicated to find out what it is. Obviously, the Olympics is. But what's good for baseball has a different definition. The players have a different definition of it than what the owners do and maybe what the commissioner's office does and maybe what the media does and maybe what the fans does. To get everybody on that same page, you really have to be like explicit and you need to not be combative with one another. That's what another thing that happened with COVID. There was combativeness between the executive office, the owners, and the players about something that was a, undeniably a good thing and would have been great for baseball. That relationship is better than it was then, but it needs to be lock solid because what's good for baseball means baseball working in lockstep. And that means owners and players working together. And uh, that's some, like people get freaked out about things in baseball, about steroids or all these other things or gambling. Not like labor is like, that's what hurts baseball. That's what hurt baseball in 1994. That's what's hurt baseball so much more than these other things. If you get that together and everyone on the same page, then we can promote baseball the way that it should be promoted clearly with the Olympics being set up for this. Was Shohei worth the contract? I'm uh, I'm the <laughs> bad guy in this one. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. Like, I know everyone is always like, okay, listen, it's deferred. It's deferred. So, like, a lot of that $70 million is going to be in 2043. I'm just going to – I would like to talk to who's running the Dodgers in 2042 and be like, hey, is it totally cool that you're paying this 51-year-old man $70, $70 million? I know it's deferred. But, like, I, listen, there's a lot of off-the-field money that obviously comes from Shohei. And obviously, I can't wait to watch him, and it's going to be great. $700 million deferred or not – is an unbelievable amount of money to do it over 20 years. And I know he may be worth it off the field, but you know what he definitely has to be is on the field for the next 10 years. And listen, this is a guy that like, it's been wonderful these last few years. There's been no greater story in baseball. I can't wait to watch it. We all love it. There is a reason that people don't do both of these jobs for extended period of times of being a pitcher and a hitter. It's because it's it's hard to do one of them. It's hard to keep your body healthy doing one of them, let alone doing both. He's going into his 30s. I listen, I, I do not like being the proverbial uh, poo in the proverbial bowl on this, but it does strike me as odd that we're all just like, oh, Shohei will just be awesome the way he was the last two years for the next 10 years at 70 million a pop. I don't know. I'm. I, I. There's a very real possibility in six years you're paying seventy million dollars for a DH for the next four years. I think there's a very real possibility. Who is in his late thirties? So I love Shohei, but yeah, I, I do have concerns about the contract, and I, I know we're all excited about it. It's cool for baseball, but we'll see if it's cool for baseball in seven or eight years. What What would be a successful ten year run? What What would have to happen in that ten years to make you go? Will each is wrong. Well, I nothing. I, I admit to that all the time about everything. So, <laughs> so this is not a hard button, hard bar for me to clear. But I would say, like, if you get first off, you have to win a World Series. I mean, clearly that's what the Dodgers are trying to do. And you also want you need him to be healthy throughout the through at least the majority of it, right? You need him to be able to do. 
both. Like Shohei is not going to be as popular in 2029 if he's just a DH playing 115 games. The off the field money is just not going to be as big if, if he's not pitching. You need him to do both of those things. Listen, maybe they make so much money in the first three years of the contract that they, they can pay off the last thing. And again, def- everything's deferred and they all, uh, uh, technically speaking, you know, uh, get enough money and enough billionaires in a room, they're going to find a way to make money no matter what happens. <laughs> like, I'm not saying like, it's this horrible money loser, but it does strike me as a risk. And so I think it, I, listen, I th- hope it works out. I think it's closer to 50-50 at working out than people are kind of assuming it is. But I think that if he's healthy and pitching for at least the first after the second to sixth or seventh year, I think you can be happy. And if they win the World Series, I don't know, man. Like you you can tell you tell me what you think Shohei Otani is going to be doing in 2029 when he still has four years in this contract and he's 35, 36 years old. I don't know. It just it just strike, and then you pay him another ten years after that. After after the ten years contract's over, I don't know, deferred money or not. Like uh, it just strikes me as a risk. It always has. Okay, I have two questions, and this is or one's a comment, the other's a question. I've been saying this since the get go that Shohei, what happens if he wakes up after this year and's like, man, I enjoyed not pitching, and I'm a DH. The Dodgers, yeah. eh, like you just said, are kind of out. But you being a Cardinals fan, if the Cardinals mm-hmm. would have offered Shohei the exact same contract. Would you have been happy about it? No. <laughs> to Come be on. honest, no. So you're saying for I the wouldn't... next 10 years, you get Shohei for $2 million, and then, I mean, the DeWitts, they have Fuku's of money. They ain't yeah, losing money in St. Louis. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, not your problem, like, but as a fan, you'd be like, damn, well, that's awesome for the Cardinals. We get Shohei yeah. for $2 million a year? Yeah, but it's not actually $2 million, right? And I'm still going to be a fan of the team for those 10 years that he's gone. Like that, that's the thing. That's the thing I always try to remember about these contracts. And I always try to keep, whenever I write about sports, I always try to remember that like more than anything, I can, I'm an official journalist and I write books and I'm serious, but I'm really just a fan. Right. And I'm going to be like, someday the DeWitts may not own the Cardinals. Someday Marmol is not going to be the manager. Someday uh, pool, like pools retired, like all of the, everyone, someday they may be the different stadium. Everything's going to change. But I, and the people that root for the Cardinals with me are always going to be here. So I'm still going to, be rooting for them in 15 years and that's going to be terrible for the cardinals if the dodgers may be able to absorb it the cardinals there is no way they'd be able to absorb that in 15 years i think about all the time remember when when they, they were going to trade for giancarlo stanton and stanton and they wanted stanton they were going to take on a big part of that contract and then stanton decided to go to the yankees imagine where the cardinals are right now the cardinals can spend money but they are not spending money like the dodgers or the yankees are if they'd have gotten that contract the Cardinals would have been a huge, huge problem uh, right now. So yeah, I do think that like I would sure I would I would not on opening day be like boo. I wish you weren't on my team, Otani. But certainly long term, I think there there there'd be a lot of stomachache about that contract. I don't think there's any question. My but, only thing is, I mean, it's an investment no, no, group. No, no. They, By the way, thank you, thank you, thank what? you for saying as uh, a journalist that you are also a fan. Of because course. every journalist we have on here says, oh, I'm not a fan of a team. Okay. He's not a beat reporter, though. But I got still, thoughts I about care. that. I got a couple thoughts about that. One, yes, if I were a beat reporter, I would have to put that aside. But I would be a terrible beat reporter because I'd constantly be watching the Cardinals game when I was supposed <laughs> to be covering so the you're team. you're Scott Merkin uh, of the White Sox that watches the Cubs all the time. <laughs> yes. But but also, I would say, I do think that, like, your beat reporters, they are able to put that aside. I am, I, I'm the weird one on this. And, like, for me, a lot of this and my kind of career is based around the idea – uh, that little moment where you like 
put aside your fandom and you put on your journalism. I'm just physically incapable of doing that. I think it's weird. I think it would take away the joy of the sports for me. So I listen, I, I criticize the Cardinals constantly. I have a podcast I do with Bernie Miklas every week, but we constantly criticize the Cardinals constantly. I would argue no one really criticizes the team more than the people that love the team the most because they know it, they know it the best. But I think, I think it would be fundamentally dishonest. So people are like, well, oh, he admitted it. He's a Cardinals fan. I think it would be dishonest not to do that when I talk about this because then then i'm hiding something and for me i like i could not i could you could not sooner than you could pull the ears off my head could you make me not a cardinals fan <laughs> like it just could not happen and so uh as long as i'm up front about it I, hopefully that's enough yeah but this, this isn't a beat reporter this is a renaissance man i mean look behind him and this i will finish anyway i mean he, <laughs> he's got a book like at what four five six books at this point and i think some nonfiction and some fiction right yeah, these are both novels. They have nothing to do with baseball at all, but I like to put them on when I on, on baseball shows. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, can we get oh, copies? Because, I mean. Talk it up. Can we get some copies? Because I like to read. I've read Kratz's book. I haven't recovered from it, but I read it. <laughs> Stephen King uh, said this was a wonderful book, and he writes a lot of books. I only write like a couple a year. Was yours, is, is the book as scary as Stephen King's books? Uh, it's as scary as his beard. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's scary. It's 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 a suspenseful thriller. It's uh, but yeah, it's a uh, uh, how lucky's about a man with a disability who uh, witnesses a crime and tries to report it. But he's he's nonverbal, so the book of time takes place in his head. And hopefully, people like it. People people did tend to like it. I'm writing another one now, but I'm still writing my baseball stuff too. It's it's uh, I just get to do two things at once. Which one is your favorite, though? Do you like the is a baseball a hobby or is the novel book writing the hobby? If I if the next book I write sells. 40 million copies and I turn into John Grisham, I am still going to be writing about baseball every week. There is no way you are not getting me to write about baseball. This is like, this is baseball. Writing about baseball is uh, in the same way that Stephen King, frankly, you know, he's written books about baseball and he talks about all the time about how baseball is his peaceful place. It is his place that with the madness of the world or the darkness of his books or the chaos of, of, of everything going on. Baseball is the place where things make sense. I'm sure it probably doesn't always feel that way when you play it, but from the outside, the world is a terrifying place full of, of anguish and horror. Baseball, baseball is, uh, is, is the place where things make sense. Grisham, most of his books, most of his books have either lawyer or something about baseball or both in all of yep. his books. <laughs> yeah. He knows what he's doing. He's, he knows he feels the same way. We have the same agent. Yeah. So it works out well. Hey, there you go. I like mm -hmm. that. Well, Hey, at William F. Leach, you can check out obviously on his Twitter, all of his, uh, all of the work he's doing, all of the, the books that he's got. And obviously the latest one you can just see right here. We'll post a bunch of this on our accounts as well. Will, great to catch up with you, man. Great to have you on here. Hope you enjoyed it. What? Oh, there's, there's Kratz's. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Mr. Sean. I'm going to get Kratz's book, I promise. Thanks for having me. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Will. Cheers, man. Talk to you soon. Yes, sir.